0: So hello and welcome to Talking Moves, a podcast from Greenwich Dance, where dance artists come together to talk about their work and practice, the things that matter and the issues which move them. I'm Melanie Precious and in this episode I'll be talking to two artists about resilience. The government told us recently that dance was not a viable career and whilst many would strongly dispute that, we probably all acknowledge it's a difficult, sometimes even punishing choice. Resilience is a word that we throw about, hopefully. We want resilient organisations and we want resilient human beings within them. And that's all well and good, but how do you know if you are resilient until faced with a challenge? And given that the last year has been one of the most testing, it feels a good time to check in with some of our dancing workforce to find out how they keep optimum mental and physical health, their tools of self-care and how organisations can do better to nurture those who make our art. So today I'm joined by Charlotte Edmonds, choreographer, dancer, podcaster and filmmaker and Andy Gardner, dancer, actor, dramaturg and co-founder of Society of Strays. Hello and welcome. Talking personally, what does resilience mean to you? How does that translate into your work and practice?
1: Resilience, does that come from being able to adapt and adjust or have to adapt and adjust because you want to do something that you're so passionate about, but that does come with a lot of complications (laughs) that you weren't expecting. Everybody's meeting deadlines. Everybody has to be at a particular point for that deadline as well. So that's companies that you're working with, performers in rehearsal. How do you manage the pressure of an already very pressured career, especially when that career seeps into your personal life so much as well? Uh, Because everything seems to become a passion project. If it's not from the leader of the project, it's also from you and how much you want to give to it uh, as well, because you've been given an opportunity to be part of something. So with that comes a certain (laughs) level of stress. You want to do a good job. So resilience to me uh, means me accepting that it's something that I want to be a part of. Nobody pushed me here in this direction. This is something that I very much want to do. But with that comes... A lot of complications for mental health. One in four people we know now do suffer from some type of mental health. And then when you look around you in the studio, you wonder, right, Okay, so within this room, there's the potential to be up to two to three people. So how do I acknowledge? How do I work with that? And with myself, what am I putting into place before I come into the studio or when I'm having challenging times? Do I have time outside of that work life commitment to be able to give myself downtime?
0: And failure never seems to be much of an option for us in our industry, does it? Like, we don't give ourselves much permission to fail. I'm talking very generally about all of us in one big group there. Charlotte, what about you? What does resilience look like to you personally and in your practice?
2: Yeah, I think you can't teach someone to be resilient. I feel like I constantly watch TED Talks about resilience that inspire me and people's stories inspire me. But it's really down to your own experiences and how you navigate that. And and I love the idea of constantly pushing ourselves and that presents new tasks. And I definitely feel like personally and professionally, I've had to find ways to be resilient and have a lot of grit and determination to kind of continue. And that can be mentally really damaging. And this, especially for freelancers, this time has really been hard. But I feel like you come out the other side so much stronger and you speak about how there's very little second chances. And especially as a freelancer, when you're not necessarily working with familiar people, or familiar team and working with all different people, you kind of constantly have to reflect and think, right, what am I going to take forward from that experience into this? or even within the process the hardest thing is almost stepping out and looking in to kind of try and quickly adapt or change and in, in that moment So I feel like that is huge. That's a huge building block to take forward and to kind of build that layer of skin of resilience.
0: That's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because as you say, as a freelancer, you're going in separate contracts. Each one of those you might not have met before. You're trying to build that relationship from scratch. You'd like them to re-employ you. And it feels like everything always hangs on this thing. And yet perhaps some of our best learning comes from those moments when we've not done the things or they haven't turned out the way we wanted to because we've been able to you know, navigate and really? think our way around. And in many ways, that's what this year has done to all of us, hasn't it? <laughs> <It's> so-, <Yes. laughs> so that's where all of this innovations coming from because of this insane place we find ourselves in, particularly us as the theatre cultural sector. So both of you have been very open in talking about conditions which are often hidden and not always talked about so much and I wondered whether that's been a conscious decision that you've made. So you Charlotte, you've got a podcast all about dyslexia and the way people are handling that, you've made a number of films about mental health and depression and I know for you Andy the same, I've seen posts, on facebook just opening your heart up and saying where you are and where you're feeling at that moment so i wondered has that helped you in being able to vocalize perhaps some of the struggles that you are navigating your way through even if they are only momentarily and not affecting you all of the time andy do you want to leap in
1: yeah i think for me there wasn't an option anymore to hide it it was impossible because it was in the studio i was having to leave the studio as well Uh, which also then you put more of a huge pressure on yourself for feeling weak or having a moment of weakness and stopping everybody's workflow. And and then the gremlins come, so you start asking yourself all those questions. Am I worth it? Can I do this? Uh, Am I in the right career? Am I wasting people's time? I mean, they're just a few questions. I mean, it's much more than that because rumination takes over as well. So it doesn't just happen in that moment. You can pick yourself back up and go in, but then the aftermath of that and the self-care at home or on the way home or how you begin to torment yourself about this is just yeah. continual. So you go in the next day. and
0: What was happening in the studio?
1: I was going into complete panic attacks based on, right. I, I suppose it's what's been asked of you and what you're yeah. doing. And well, you just mentioned before that you go into every project and there's, there's all those feelings that you walk in with already. But then when you're asked to display those skills immediately, you're cutting yourself open, you're leaving everything you've got on the studio floor to be able to do that. But that's such a vulnerable place. And, and where's the care after that? And who's the responsibility with as well?
0: Has it helped you to be open and vocal about something that perhaps internally you had been struggling with for a while?
1: I think there was no choice Melanie for me it was it was happening in the studio and then it was affecting me coming in the next day. Yeah. I think it was more in support of other people as well feeling that myself and this is in support of other people this is happening in the studio just now and if it's happening to you you're not the only one and I wonder what that is and I wonder what we can do.
0: And it takes a while to get there doesn't it because for a while I suppose you just think it is you and then you realize everyone else Charlotte's nodding profusely that plays out for you as well does it
2: Charlotte yeah absolutely I think just hearing you say it takes time to speak up because I would always hear even five years ago people saying you know we just need to be more open about this it's really easier said than done it definitely has taken me five years to grow the confidence to speak with my friends and family and colleagues most importantly it comes back to what Andy was saying which is I don't know if you were told this at school where you leave kind of all your, I'm going to say baggage. I don't know whether that's the right thing to say, but like leave anything that's on your mind at the door and come in and you kind of be this character, especially in the performing arts. And yeah, actually, what if that was happening in the studio? How do you like, you kind of let that manifest if you don't speak up about it. And I feel like, you know, we're slowly teaching people to be more open and just say what's happening internally Otherwise it it really boils over. It's so detrimental. But I feel yeah, I think we both love to explore this through our work or or through speaking about it or even our approach in the studio. I think that's so important. It's just like all these different layers that create a much better and positive environment from learning from maybe some of the really hard times or hard moments that that you definitely don't want to repeat yeah so I can definitely empathize with that
0: well you've started an organization called Move Beyond Words which aims to amplify the voices of artists doesn't it in particular dance artists who have dyslexia and I wondered what coping mechanisms you've needed to develop for living with that
2: um a lot and I think I'm still exploring the strategies as i get to know my dyslexia and move beyond words which i co-founded with elizabeth riffian is here to create or provide creative solutions for particularly dancers at this stage but hopefully artists in the future because although you know dyslexia is normally associated with academia And yet a lot of creatives are dyslexic and it's a great medium to express yourself, the arts and whether it's singing or dancing or artwork itself, poetry, the whole film, it's a great way to express something that you may not feel like you can articulate. And so, yeah, we are providing support and more recently through our podcast and it's been fascinating hearing people's experiences just generally hearing how inspiring their stories are and their career paths and how different they are to one another but how they've been resilient in their education their career path their personal life and just hearing how they've kind of tackled situations it honestly was really amazing and just makes you realize that you know we've all had a similar experience, but sort of
1: inherent to us.
2: Yes.
0: Andy, did you want to say something? I think I cut you off earlier.
1: I think it was aimed at Charlotte and how, because she's working with many collaborators and being a choreographer as well, and leading some of those experiences for dancers, how her experiences, have informed the way that she might ask for something or the way that she might set up a studio or the way that she might bring something to a close. Because I think that all of those are like pretty important psychologically now that we're figuring out for people that are yeah. suffering any mental health issues in the studio or anything related to resilience really. So how does your experience equip you? You like you felt it yourself. So how do I do this for other people? How do I make it just common practice actually? Because it'd be better if it was just common practice. Big question, but interesting.
2: Oh, yeah, that is. (laughs) I think, okay, so combining the two questions in terms of. (laughs) No, 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 it's really great. Interesting to hear your thoughts as well. So, saying to someone, I have dyslexia, I'm going to really struggle with retaining this information or. I'm probably going to go to the left instead of the right when we're supposed to do this exercise. And I'm going to get really upset with myself. You know, it's so hard to say that it's really such a challenge because you don't want to feel judged in any way. And unfortunately, we do as people kind of label. And that's really sad. So I feel that yeah, plucking up the courage to sort of say something like that is huge. And then when you realise when you're working with other people that there might be 20 people in front of you that are going to experience this whole process differently or retain information in a different way, especially when you're working in different countries, there's different training, different language barriers. And it's just so important. You know, I felt so, like, listened to if if someone said, oh, do you want five minutes just to take that in? And it's just amazing considering I know that when I was training there wasn't that space and it just cre- in terms of anxiety um in terms of mental health in terms of you know putting your best foot forward all of that care is vital to creating you know not only sort of nurturing a person but a great a great artist yes. as well and just a really humble and positive experience I don't know if I'm answering your question Andrew <laughs> I think it's <laughs>
1: yeah it's you, a, a good answer on the way. Yeah, yeah there's
0: lots of tangible things that we can draw out from that and I might dig down into that a little bit more as well because thank you for taking us down that road i wondered and it sort of builds on from that and what andy was asking you which is whether anything feels different for you both as you consider your mental and physical health and resilience when you make your own work as opposed to creating and animating the work of someone else does that play into any of those studio scenarios that you were talking about andy
1: 100 percent Because I'm definitely taking an absolute history of experience of my own in various situations where I think that I've felt that's a trigger. That's an absolute trigger. So if that's a trigger for me, that's a trigger for other people somewhere or could be. So how do you present an idea to people? How do you enable that idea from them as well and support it whilst it's happening in the space? And we're working remotely now as well. So how remotely do I do that has been a question for me over this time. But also, how can I feed back? And how can I say if there's anything within, because I've been working a lot recently with writing my own material. Mm. So if there's anything within that material for you, which you just cannot say, let's talk about it because we can change that and we can probably get something better (laughs) for all of us. So it's leaving a stimulus and an open dialogue, like it's a stimulus. It's not this. I wouldn't be that so precious. That it would affect somebody in that way. Yeah. But also, afterwards, if we need to discuss or talk about anything that's come up in the space, let's also do that and, and close it down and just remember that we close it down here in this space. So when you leave this space, you don't take it with you. And, and if you do, it's much less than it may have been.
0: That's really yeah. interesting, isn't it? Because I'm sure we don't think about that as we go into a studio and just make what might seem like a jovial piece of of artwork dance work you might not think that there has to be some sort of circle moment where we all come together and talk about how the day's been for us but actually if that's embedded in practice for whatever you're making when you then do start to tackle perhaps more issue-based stuff that has the potential to trigger and actually who knows what things trigger you know you could be making a family show and someone could be in bits because they've got all kinds of things that play into that Charlotte you created that Beautiful film uh, for mine called Sink or Swim. How did that come about? Do you know what? It
2: was made in 2017, yeah, which right was ago. like ages ago now. And I did watch it the other day because I don't know, it's just good to look back and see if you've got the same sort of feeling as you did when you created it. But at the time, I was reflecting on my time at school right. and the challenges I'd faced. And I really wanted to create a piece about mental health. And the, the work is inspired by Ian Cumberland's portrait, Sink or Swim. And he was speaking about his experience with depression and how he just felt completely like he'd hit rock bottom at this point in his life. And he created this artwork to kind of illustrate that. And I think we can have variations of depression. I definitely personally have had a whole escalation of anxiety attacks or feeling like I really have hit rock bottom or just a day where I feel quite low, you know, and I think we all in some capacity can relate to that at various points in our life. So this was created underwater with a director, Louis Jack, and Francesca Hayward was starring in it. And it's really looking at various metaphors associated with mental health, so feeling heavy, feeling like you can't Keep your head above the water, drowning, all those associations with it and and trying to kind of portray that. And it it was amazing. The response was fantastic. And and just like on YouTube, just seeing the various comments, just hoping that it inspires someone. But the main reason for creating it was just to really try and get into someone's mind who's experiencing that because... The end scene is Frankie gasping for air, like you do in a dream. You know, you wake up in an absolute panic. And the amazing thing is, you're watching it, and it's like speaking to someone you wouldn't know that that is happening inside their mind. And essentially, we were kind of saying, this this could be happening to anyone, and, and no one knows that. So... The aim was to hopefully encourage people to kind of speak up and, yes. and start a dialogue. Yes,
0: and, and so appropriate for now. So you have both touched on this too, so let's dig into this a little bit more. I said in my introduction that we use the word resilience hopefully, and I've been really thinking about this because it feels like such a throwaway word, doesn't it? Let's all be resilient. I mean, it sounds so good. Wouldn't it be great if we all could be? It's asking so much of us all to be resilient. It just seems so optimistic. And, and yet, as dancers and particularly artists, We put them through such a rigorous training programme from such a young age, often, not always, but often, and into such an uncertain working world. And I wondered, you know, I'd love to find out more about what you think about the ways that we train our dancers and the world that we then put them in and whether that's had any bearing on your own personal experience of being resilient. Baggage, you said earlier, Charlotte, do you have that with you still from your years in training?
2: I feel hopefully with a growth mindset, we're kind of using the baggage (laughs) essentially or the, the difficult experiences and being artists, if this time has taught us something, you can change things, you can implement things that will help others. And just trying to communicate that with maybe slightly bigger voices as well. I think there are still more friendlier ways of doing things that can In terms of like an audition process, or even just the way in which you manage a room, I think people nowadays are being more conscious of that. But there's still a way to go. I don't think there's ever a kind of polished or finished product so I would say it has definitely made me think about how to move forward Mm -hmm. and I think we're all kind of being inspired by one another Mm -hmm. and and understanding or learning from each other Mm -hmm. or even I think sort of highlighting actually this made me feel this way or I think it's really important to do that Mm.
0: Andy what do you think has your training had any bearing do you think on the anxiety that you've experienced or does it come from somewhere else
1: yeah I I think it comes from your experience in your home life experiences of where You've put yourself in social circles as well. But I think that it is definitely a a major player uh, within the mix. It just is because you stood in a room of mirrors facing all your other peers that are also doing the same. And that in itself is enough, especially when you get corrections in front of all those people, despite it being there to support you. All of a sudden rooms need areas of improvement, I'm going to call it type of language that's used in giving a correction could be so different in that space in front of all your peers and other people that you're trying to stay at the level at or with for that journey. That's a lot for three years. So you Mm -hmm. are stood in front of a mirror, criticising yourself for the majority of your year. Mm -hmm. And that has got to seep in psychologically, physiologically into other areas of your life because you're so used to doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think this is why dancers particularly can be so hard on themselves in other areas of their life if they don't achieve something immediately. And then I think that that also, if you choose to leave dance and go into dance administration or leadership roles, that this is also a thing. It comes from that place of constantly being critical and being critical is also a part of our learning and development. So how can we support and change the vernacular and the way in which we do things that supports equality that supports mental health especially Mm. just knowing how many people must leave damaged Mm. already I can't tell you how many times I've taught somewhere where the person goes at the end of the third year oh I'm just going to leave dance for a few years because I can't do this and I just think wow you've not had a career yet wait till you get there because you are up against the time pressure and there's money involved and you're being paid so sometimes people don't have the time money and patience for you as well so yeah it's interesting it's
0: about striving for perfection isn't it that's what dance is about it's about an aesthetic often and we are moving away from that now and i'm pretty sure now that the cohorts of students that are going through our programs in our schools now are getting a very different experience to the one that perhaps you, me and charlotte have gone through i know we know that they are changing the way you know they nurture those young dancers I've got the greatest confidence in that but I certainly know that my dance training as well nobody talked about mental health nobody talked about how you felt it was about whether you got the star role whether you got a place in the in the piece auditioned, cast away you know all of that thing and then years of standing in a line right for a handful of jobs yeah it's a hard old career Charlotte you know this better than many you're piece for the junior company of Dutch National Ballet was called Grit so you were saying something there I think for those young people.
2: Yeah I I feel like now I'm saying this like hearing both of you speak about grit and resilience (laughs) it was definitely something that was important for everyone in the room and something that I wanted to investigate with them and the process was just as vital as the product. These dancers were 15, 16, maybe 18 tops and in a junior company. So kind of almost got fast track to being in like a company setting. And um, I just feel like that anyway, I think training or being young and Andy, you said you sort of have to rein in the criticism when you're kind of analysing yourself by when you're in the mirror or dancing or receiving corrections. And I feel like these young dancers was it was great to explore this with them. And it opened up a whole dialogue to discuss how they were feeling. And I really wanted to just create that space and fuel all this information into the choreography. And essentially get them to physicalize that because that's what we do like that's we take something that really inspires us or something that we're really interested in and then try and physicalize that or portray that in through dance so I really enjoyed that and I suppose it was just really looking at what, what does resilience physically look like and kind of what scenarios can we create and so I think actually it's like when someone says to you write something down on a piece of paper screw it up and actually throw it away like the physical action of doing that so I kind of wanted to apply the same thing into the studio if you could create a task or scenario you know how do you approach that and then hopefully they can take those things away from the creation into their own lives yeah so that's what we're really exploring
0: grit is a great word i think i mean this is going slightly off tangent i've got a little nine-year-old and he wears his heart on his sleeve and i wish i could teach him grit and you both i think have said today that it's not something that's very easy to be taught but with that in mind i wondered what advice you might give to anyone who was feeling overwhelmed what things can we teach ourselves as opposed to relying on others to provide the nurturing environment for us to be in what can we do if things are feeling too much
1: for this answer i'm gonna have to maybe go to a bit of a vulnerable place and i'm not sure but i I think i need to because it's not that i disagree with you melanie but i think sometimes it can get beyond your behavioral control anymore to be able to do something so i think actually somebody does need to step in and there needs to be a diversion And if it gets to that point, my honest opinion would be to seek out specialist advice because I went through a high intensity, 12 weeks cognitive behavioral therapy course this year. And I I committed myself fully to it. It's actually at this point where I need to do this so I can change my behavior so I can begin to live what we perceive to be a normal life again. So for that, everything that I've put into place so far isn't actually enough. So I do actually need guidance there. So I'd be saying if it gets to a place where you feel like your behaviors aren't supporting anything that you've put in place anymore, then absolutely do intervene, get intervention, because you do need it. And once you have those mechanisms, especially with cognitive behavioral therapy, once that's in place, you can begin to share that with other people. And if everybody was that generous with things that they learned like that, then it could definitely support resilience and and just having that one-on-one with somebody this year for me changed absolutely everything so I think I would say put that in place seek advice if you need it
0: seek advice and before that like a step before that moment what are those things you were saying that if all of those are not enough what are those steps along the way
1: I followed uh, guided meditations They're available everywhere now. You can get them on loads of platforms like Mind has it, the NHS. You can just type in mental health, basically anxiety training, mm. and into a Google search and something will come up where you can follow a guided meditation, mm. which is designed specifically to knock rumination out of your mind and start to have a present moment focus. But that's something I learned more in CBT, how to actually achieve that on your own. Right. How about
0: you, Charlotte? Do you have tools of self-care or suggestions, guidance, tips for people that might be feeling overwhelmed?
2: Andy's recommendations are great because in lockdown I had a major anxiety attack and I turned to meditation and that really helped. That was a great tool. I also found that although it's really simple to say, like taking time to just stop, because when I'm feeling really overwhelmed, it's normally an amalgamation of thoughts. And I need to take a step back and give myself some time. And and I think just saying that to someone, they will understand. I also, I haven't actually seeked out professional support, but I have spoken to friends and family. And we all went through moments, especially during lockdown, so that, you know, if something happens, it's like, okay, this is the reason why. And and it just kind of gives you, I get really anxious about the way, you know, especially as we're saying, we're trying, we want to be so cautious about the way that we're leading yeah. things. Or So when something's happening to you, it's really hard. You want to be that kind of core support. But when actually something's happening to you, it's you've got to also be transparent, just as you would hope people would be with you.
0: Yes. So, that, yeah. That's that. so true, isn't it? I very recently, last week maybe, phoned one of my colleagues in tears and just said, This is how I'm feeling right now. I will be all right. Tomorrow I'll be okay. Right now I'm feeling like this. And I think it's because of this reason and maybe this reason, maybe this one. And, you know, everything piles in. But I recognise what you're saying, that telling someone is it sheds a bit of the load and perhaps knowing it might not be forever. But then I also wonder, I, I think lockdown has made us all think about these kinds of issues than, and people that might not have ever thought that they would experience a panic attack possibly did. And I certainly know that I did and didn't know what it was <laughs> at first. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I, I take your point, Andy, about seeking help. And I think that's really valuable. But the thing that I do notice about you is that you've got such a heightened understanding of what you are now going through and that understanding is power you know i recognize there are difficulties but i applaud you for that because i think understanding what that all means for you can help steer the way even if on that particular day you don't feel so powerful maybe so Both of you hold positions of responsibility in the studio. Andy, when you work with Zoe Logic, I know you're in an assistant role and a dramaturgy role, um, and of course, also managing your own company and working with dancers and collaborators. And Charlotte, you're choreographing for schools and companies all over the world. So when you're not only managing your own mental and physical health, but those of others in the room, what do you do to make the experience nurturing and the environment nurturing and safe for yourself too?
1: So my understanding is the question is how, because I I realise I'm responsible for other people. So how do I make sure I support that? But also, how do I support myself within yes, that? yeah because you wow. carry it, don't you?
0: On a day when you're feeling, you know, not your best, sometimes you've still got to yeah. put on this brave face and tell the rest of the team that everything's going to be okay. And I think those are the moments where I certainly feel my weakest. <laughs> I wondered how that feels
1: for you guys. Obviously, it feels terrible and you do feel weak. But I also think that if there's a way of creating an understanding in that team that that something like that might come up or this can be acknowledged at the beginning of a process or there can be a gentle reminder every now and then that this might be a possibility throughout a creative process and this might happen in the studio or I might feel like this that tomorrow is another day and I, I do have things in place to be able to support my mind to be able to move forward so I will be fine I'm feeling overwhelmed with that so what we might do is begin to restructure the way we're doing it and compartmentalize mm-hmm. a bit so maybe we just look at this thing today and we don't focus on mm-hmm. everything and feel the weight of the world on our shoulders let's focus on this thing for today only and then tomorrow we'll just focus on this thing if we've moved forward there and when it's for other people and their work especially being a dramaturg there's just a particular way that I ask how they want to receive information beforehand for anybody that I've worked with in that sense right at the beginning that will be a discussion before we even go into the Mm. studio how do you want to receive feedback Mm. from me and then have options as well just so it's not such a big (laughs) big responsibility on their shoulders and maybe Mm. they've never thought of it before also so I would give options on how they might like to receive that information. One being, I can ask some various questions surrounding something that may not be reading particularly well. So I'll ask questions around that rather than say, "This isn't working for me, and I don't see what you're trying to say." So let's talk about that because that can be very exposing to somebody, and they also may know, but just maybe need it analyzed and questioned in just a different way. And I think it's super supportive to ask questions because they know exactly where you're going. And my relationship with Zoe, she knows exactly. Exactly where I'm going yeah. with that but I didn't need to say it I know now how she needs to receive information and how I would give it so uh, I suppose it's establishing that with somebody uh, having options yeah. as as well as for yourself being able to give yourself options rather than biting off more than yes. you can chew in one day and, and, and carrying the weight of so many things in yeah. one day can I just achieve yesterday yes this today?
0: really yeah. good idea just bite-sized chunks
1: yeah.
0: what do you think Charlotte does that play out for you
2: yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. You know, Jane Malone actually says her advice is when she's feeling slightly down or emotional to not make any large decisions with her company or when she ran her company and then just regroup with yourself, essentially, or have a meeting with yourself and make those decisions when you're feeling more balanced. And the same thing applies, I think, like in the studio, I have a conversation with myself and I kind of look at my structure for the piece that I'm creating. I'm thinking, am I on track? How is the room feeling? Reading the room, reading myself. And it's just things that you can't really prepare for. You know, a dancer might come in being injured and you know, you have to really understand how that impacts your kind of process and everyone's mental health and also kind of the team around you and so I suppose it's each day having your structure and trying to stick with that but also I really like the way Andy says you know having those options and maybe essentially honing in on something that's necessary for that day doesn't mean that you're losing out on anything in the long run but you're just sort of tailor-making the process and adjusting to how you know what people really Mm. need in that moment but not losing sight of the kind of bigger picture Mm.
0: and given that dance is such a physical thing but it's also what you do and get paid for I wondered how far is physical exercise part of your toolkit for being resilient do you exercise for mental health or do you only exercise because you're paid to do that
1: Uh, For me, there is no option not to have a gym membership and to go at least five times a week, and that is completely structured towards my mental health and that feeling good thing. I'm not standing in front of a mirror, uh, even though they're everywhere, so you can check your form. There's something that I get out of it, and that's me having time with myself that isn't specific actually to necessarily dance training in the studio. So for me, it's actually an outside thing, uh, staying physically fit in that sense, But for the studio, it's a very different thing because it's always felt like such a joint practice. You know, you're in a room with loads of other people. Not right now. In lockdown, it's not been that. Maybe it's happened on Zoom uh, and remotely. But for me, absolutely, the gym is my time Mm -hmm. where I get to see my personal achievements. And people have it with yoga. People have it with Pilates. And I would just say find your thing that supports you as a dancer. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm building a frame that's not necessarily uh, specific to this ideological idea of a dancer. But I'm uh, also helping break that stereotype that you need to be also uh, a particular way and just remember to stretch as well as I lift. Yeah. But there's something about it that I definitely get from it and a release. And that's something I've put yeah. in place for myself. Yeah.
2: yeah. How about you, Charlotte? Yeah, I wish I could say I was really motivated. <laughs> the I think we, <laughs>
1: all we, all
2: all do. we? <laughs> I definitely do. Yeah, unfortunately, I cancelled my gym membership after not really going there as much as yeah. I should have. But I then found a couple of other solutions, mm. which um, I started actually um, playing football. Did you? Um, you? In an all-women's-girls like, academy. And I loved it because, similarly to Andy, it's kind of away from dancing. You know, it's it's something completely different. And I just loved working in a team with these other women at something completely different learning kind of like a a new craft or a new skill and and just kind of getting my teeth into it and and it feels really great and obviously it's like an activity but it's something physical that I really love so um I'm definitely not an expert in it but it's just something to enjoy you know without putting the pressure mm-hmm. um on yourself and and just to do that with other people that's is great. that's an
0: interesting one isn't it enjoyment because when we come from a dance background and I was a dancer for 10 years as well and I cannot dance for enjoyment unless it's in a you know a party or something. But people will be surprised that I didn't do our own classes at Greenwich Dance. And I'm like, no, because I used to dance and I used to be quite good. And now I'd be terrible. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to dance. That mirror and look at myself and yeah. think I once was able to do that, and now I can't. That would do my head, and I'm going to go and run. You need to find the enjoyment in the physical, in whatever you're doing physically, don't you, in order to free yourself?
1: 100%. 100%. So, I
0: have one yeah. last question for you, and then I'm going to thank you for your time and your honesty. You've both been so open. With me today. But one thing that I really want to know as someone who heads up an organisation is what should we be doing to better protect artists like yourself that are working with us? What can you tell me about how my organisation should be set up to nurture you?
1: Sorry for laughing because it's a big question. Because I really don't know how to answer that, but I've got some ideas. But also, I'm just wondering if Charlotte, you could start on that. (laughs) There (laughs) you go. go. (laughs) Throw back the hot potato. Um,
0: (laughs) This podcast is always the place where I ask artists to solve the world for me, and they're all a bit like, What?
1: (laughs) How do we do that? Go on, Charlotte, give it your best Um,
2: shot. (laughs) Yeah, give it a go. For me, at the moment, as a freelancer, connection and structure, I would probably bring it to those two points. I think at the moment, I feel like our industry is a bit like a (laughs) Formula One race, except some of the cars don't have wheels, a couple of other people have double the engines and then can go twice the speed. And so there's this whole variation and kind of no unity. So I would kind of urge companies to really address the connection that's needed the communication and also the structure you know we are as artists used to that pace of life and that's completely thrown us so how to rebuild that and I think it's fantastic companies have looked into the dancers that they might have and nurture their talents and skills and see kind of You know, it brings us back to what we were saying at the beginning, how they've actually said, well, actually, I I am a dramaturg, or on the side, I do create this podcast. And, you know, therefore, they're able to kind of lean into their strengths and kind of continue to creating new work within their companies. I think it's fantastic. But to not neglect the artists that are also outside of Mm -hmm. those organisations, because they're really the ones that probably had only you know, one wheel and then can't move forward in that Formula One race. So it's about rebuilding that and not neglecting freelancers who need that support. And it's really easy for me to say that I do not run a massive organisation, but I think um, it's so vital and necessary to create these opportunities, even though I know at the moment it's incredibly challenging and it being such an unprecedented time. To forward plan but but to kind of really think ahead and think about approaching those obstacles and trying to sort of get a structure get a plan in order to kind of connect with the industry again and try and make and progress I don't know if that I feel like I just <laughs> tried to tell really expert people how to do their jobs and, and here I am but <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you guys no. are the expert yeah, people yeah. and uh, and we listen and that's what's been so wonderful about yeah. doing this podcast is every one of them I've listened to artists and gone oh I might do oh I'll change oh, okay. i change something here mm-hmm. Andy what what are your thoughts
1: I think it's recognising inclusivity in a way as a general for many different factors because there is many different voices and there is many different demographics of society. And if the idea of the company is to have an outreach that's so inclusive, then it must be like that with the people that they're employing somehow. So I think that many of these things have come to light and especially now during the pandemic of this year because of the disparity that's been so evident between organizations freelancers and just various different areas of the sector so i think and hope that moving forward as much as it is about what type of audience are we trying to reach what type of work are we trying to make and with what type of person because even when you specifically ask for a type of person on a project how do we ask for it with and be inclusive Mm -hmm. at the same time even if you're specifically looking for this is specifically looking for that being exclusive. Just for an organisation, it would be maybe space for different types of voices to come through. And whether that's somebody that wants to start making work, that there is room for them in whatever capacity, whatever type of the art sector they're in, to be able to put a canvas on the wall, create that sculpture, be that dancer, be that multidisciplinary performer. And I suppose how that's supported, because maybe we have just been sat on an archaic way of doing things for a long time up until this point even though there has been shifts and changes but now it's just more evident that they need to be in place mm. because there is so many people that don't get to access art because of those barriers so I, I don't know be as inclusive as people want you to be with your audiences as well as you are with the people that come through and into your company yes, yes. does that answer I mean I think yeah. it does oh, yeah.
0: transparency and honesty and inclusivity yeah. Those are some good words yeah. so I think that's probably a good place to stop and I'd love to thank you both for your time and as I said before for being so open with us today and thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes about subjects moving artists of today, search for Talking Moves wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and spread the word. And for more information about Charlotte and Andy, head on over to greenwichdance.org.uk. And do remember, if you know someone you think we should talk to or have a topic you'd like us to talk about, tweet us at Greenwich Dance. And for today, that's it from us. Do join us next time for more Talking Moves. Listen, thank you both so much. We're planning to put this out in January.
2: Maybe that wasn't such a
1: bad idea.